0: If you have your Bible, I invite you to open to, uh, to Acts chapter 8. We've been, uh, we've been out of the book of Acts for the last couple of weeks as we went into the Easter season and we looked at uh, the triumphal entry of Jesus two weeks ago and then uh, last Sunday was of course Resurrection Sunday, and we had just a really, a couple of really good weeks, I think, of, of uh, just focusing in on the, uh, on the last week of, of Jesus' life. And now we're picking up the story that we started back at the beginning of the year. We're jumping back into the, the book of Acts, and the momentum has started to build just to kind of give you a little bit of a refresher. Because it's been a couple of weeks. You know, the, 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 the apostles and the disciples are hanging out and they're waiting. They're not really sure what to do after the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And then over a period of about 50 days, Jesus appears to the apostles. And then he goes back up to heaven. He told them that, uh, that uh, the Holy Spirit would come upon them. So just wait. And it did. And it came on them in a very powerful way. Peter stands up and he preaches that sermon, and thousands of people respond and are baptized into Jesus' name. And that day, which is called the Day of Pentecost, it's 50 days after the Passover, that day is when the church was born. And so it just started rolling from there, and more and more people gave their lives to Jesus. And eventually, this upstart movement ran up against the establishment. Went up against Judaism and there began to be some issues and it caused problems and then there was arrests made and there were people beaten and eventually let go from prison and it got to the point where you know after threats were made and not listened to and all of this that they finally took one of the early prominent leaders, one of the, the deacons by the name of Stephen, and they killed him. Remember that? This was the religious people, the people in charge of dispensing religion to the people killed somebody. Let that one sink down on you for just a second. Okay, the people who are supposed to love God and point people to God end up committing murder, end up putting someone to death. And it was Stephen, and as we saw from that, from that text, we, we were introduced to, to uh, to a character that is really fixing to um, play a prominent role in, in the story in the, the coming chapters. It's Saul, who that's his, you know, that's his Hebrew name. He's eventually we're going to know him by his by his Greek name, Paul. And he's going to do these incredible exploits for the kingdom of God. But for the time being, Saul is persecuting the church. He's ravaging uh, he's ravaging the church. You know, he's so angry with them, he wants to have them put to death, and so he drags them off into prison and all of that stuff, and we'll get more, really sink our teeth into some of that stuff next week. But that's kind of, that's kind of, where, that's kind of where we are. That's where the church is at this point. It's this growing movement. It's doing really good. It's beginning to, to, to spread. The persecution hits, and that's what really is going to cause the church to spread out. And that's what we see happening as we pick up our story in chapter 8 today. We're seeing the spreading, the advancing of of the church. And so today we're talking about journey, being on a journey. You know, don't stop believing. There you go. Like that? There we go, yeah. And, And realistically... That could go really well with what we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. You know, don't stop believing in Jesus. We can make that work. We can make it fit. We should play that song. Maybe that'll be the invitation song. We'll swap it up. Kendall will go learn it, and he'll have it ready in just a few minutes. So uh, no pressure. No pressure. Don't worry, Kendall. The wheels in the sky keep on turning if you don't learn it. Um, I grew up on the north side of Atlanta. You know, most of you know my story. I was raised in a Christian family. I'm the oldest of three boys. My parents took us to church. You know, I'm I'm what you call a cradle Christian. You know, from the day I was born, I have attended church for almost 42 years. I have attended church. I missed very, very few Sundays, uh, which is nothing impressive. It's just, that's just my life. That's the way that I was raised and that's the way I lived. When I was 9 years old in 1985, I came to Jesus in unspectacular circumstances. You know, it just sort of happened with a conversation that my dad had with me. He asked me if I was thinking about Jesus and wanting to be baptized and really I wasn't. But he asked me and so I started thinking about it and he asked me if I wanted to talk about it more. And so they went to Modern technology, uh, Jewel Miller film strips, if you've ever heard of those. Uh, some of you old, old-timers will know what I'm talking about. You that are nodding. Okay, some of you know what I'm talking about. There are these old film strips, and that's how you used to teach the gospel. And so I was evangelized by the Jewel Miller film strips. And after a period of study, I don't remember how long it was, but I was baptized on September 1st, uh, 1985, and so you know there was nothing. Like I said, there was nothing spectacular about it. It wasn't this dramatic conversion. I mean, I was nine years old. Not a lot was going on then. You know, I was barely conscious of the world around me. Some of you have probably some similar stories like that as you have you've come from come to faith. You know, we all come from different walks of life, right? Uh, I think we've done a poll in here, but who are the people that were actually born and raised in Thomasville? Who are the lifers here? Very small number. Who is a transplant? Most of us. Yeah, we we come from other places. We come from uh, different backgrounds. Some of you probably, like me, you came to faith early on in life. Others, your conversion was later on. And there are some of you that are here this morning that you are on the journey. You know, you're on that path maybe to faith right now. Maybe you don't realize you are, but the fact that you were here tells me that you're at least on the path. Maybe that you're thinking about some of these things. It could be that that you, like me, were sort of influenced by your parents, maybe one parent or another. Maybe it was both of them. Or maybe it was that your parents didn't believe at all, that they didn't go to church, that they weren't interested in that kind of thing, so you didn't have any parental influence. It might be that some of you came to faith through very dramatic circumstances, that you were caught up in a dark place, and in that dark place, you know, it's kind of like Paul, you sort of saw the light, and you followed that light, and that light led you out of that lifestyle that you lived in, and it was a very dramatic Conversion, you just have this great story of faith and this, this incredible testimony. Others of us, we sort of seem to just sort of casually walk into faith. But what do we learn from all that? If we were to sit down and just kind of learn our conversion stories, knowing the background and the history and, and, and all of those things, education levels and all those things, what we would find is that the good news is for everyone. And that is good news, right? The gospel of Jesus is for everyone. You don't have to have a dramatic conversion. You know, like, like, like um, uh, D.L. Moody experienced. He experienced the Holy Spirit coming on him. And it was, he said it was such a powerful experience as he was walking down Fifth Avenue in New York City. Walking down Fifth Avenue and it hit him and it was so powerful. He went into his room, he couldn't speak, he laid down on the floor and he finally had to ask God to stay his hand because he was afraid he was going to die if it continued. That's pretty dramatic. Uh, Not as dramatic as a nine-year-old coming to Jesus through Jewel Miller film strips. But that's pretty dramatic, right? But it does not matter how you come to faith. Okay, it doesn't have to be this long, drawn-out process. What matters is that the gospel is for every person. And it does not care about where you come from. It does not care about who your parents are, your lineage. It does not care about how much money you have or do not have. It does not care about your past. Okay? It doesn't care about any of those things. The gospel is for everybody. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the great equalizer. You realize that? Yes, I heard that. Thank you, Jesus. That's right. The gospel is the great equalizer. It sets us all, really, it sets us all on the same level, the same footing, the same the same playing field, so to speak. You know, and I think something else that we would discover too were we to to take the time to to hear each other's stories is that we would find that there's probably, now there'll be exceptions, but probably for most of us, there is someone or maybe a few people, but at least one person in your life that was instrumental in you coming to the faith. Is that a safe statement? Can I... Make that that a fairly accurate statement. That person for me was a man by the name of Marvin Cargill. Uh, He was just a man who attended our church. I don't remember if, I think he eventually became a deacon. He eventually became an elder in another church. But he was just a man who, he and my dad are the ones that kind of talked me through the process of what it meant to, to become a Christian. And it was that man, Marvin Cargill, who's the one who, who baptized me into Jesus back all of those years ago. And the same is probably true for you, that there is at least one person in your life that came along beside you, wherever you were in the midst of your, your journey, and walked with you through the process of, of faith. Is that, is that right? Is that, does that work for everybody for the most part? Yeah. Well, that's what we're going to see happen here in in Acts chapter 8. The persecution has hit. All of the disciples have fanned out. The apostles have stayed anchored. You know, there's a difference between disciple and apostle. Apostle were the ones specifically chosen by Jesus, specifically commissioned by Jesus. They're the messengers. Uh, Disciple just means follower. So they were both, but there's apostles and disciples. The The early church disciples have sort of fanned out and now what we're going to see happen is some of the apostles are going to get sent away. And so today we read the story of a guy named Philip. And he's going to show up for a little bit and then we're not going to read about him for probably 20 years later when he's going to show up at the end of the book and he's married and he's got four daughters and those daughters are prophetesses and all of this great stuff. But for now, Philip, is, he's, kind of, he's kind of working in this church and he has an encounter with with the Lord, and it sends him on this, uh, on this incredible journey. Begin reading with me in verse 26, and I'll stop and make some comments along the way. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. So there's a couple of the characters. In right? that's really all the characters right there in the story. You have Philip, who is tapped on the shoulder by an angel of the Lord, which usually means you're in trouble. You've got a job, you've, you've got a very difficult job to do. Uh, it usually means something's going to happen to you. Your life's going to change in some dramatic way. But he says, go south, go down the desert road, and he, so he does. And as he's uh, uh, traveling along, he comes across this, this chariot. Traveling, it's a man from Ethiopia. Uh, scripture calls him a eunuch. A kinder title would be the queen's treasurer. I'm sure he would prefer that one. But he's been to Jerusalem, thank you, he's been to Jerusalem to worship, he's attained, obtained a copy of the scriptures, the prophet Isaiah, you know, the New Testament hadn't been written yet, but he's got the prophet Isaiah and he's on his way back and he is reading the text. Now then the text would be read aloud because it's easier to learn it, it's easier to read it by being read aloud so you can just sort of imagine as he's catching up to them or something gets alongside him he hears the eunuch reading the text and he's like hey maybe this is why God sent me here and then we find out why that is why in verse 29 the Spirit of the Lord told him go and join that chariot Philip ran up to it and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and he said do you understand what you're reading How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe this generation? For his life is taken from the earth the eunuch said to philip i ask you who is the prophet saying this about himself or or someone else philip proceeded to tell him the good news about jesus beginning with that scripture the passage that he is reading is isaiah 53 that's the the great suffering Servant, Suffering Savior chapter of Isaiah. And it talks about it. You know, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. He was silent. Didn't open his mouth. Uh, justice was denied him. His life was, was taken from the earth. Okay, he was mistreated. He was a recipient of injustice. And here you have a man from Ethiopia who, while he is important, he does have a very, very important job. He is also branded. He is a eunuch. Now, we understand what eunuch is, right? I don't have visuals, don't worry. We're not going to go there. But a eunuch is a male who's been castrated. Okay, usually for the purpose of guarding the harem, the women's area, you know, protection of the women. Okay, because if he's a eunuch, then they don't have anything to worry about. Everybody tracking with me, right? Almost always, but not all the time. Almost always, it was done to the man without his consent. A lot of times it took place while they were children for varying reasons. And for one reason or another, this man is a eunuch, but also for another reason or another, he is a person that's got some pretty big responsibility. He is the, the treasurer for the queen, for, for Candace in Ethiopia. Now that's a, that's a pretty big job, but as he's coming into Jerusalem who knows what he has heard but he's been there worshipping he's obtained a copy of the scriptures maybe he had it before he got there maybe he got it while he was there we don't know but he's riding back home in the chariot he's reading from it wouldn't be called Isaiah 53 then because they didn't do the numbers things but he's got the scroll unrolled to this portion of Isaiah and he's reading about this guy who's described as a a, a sheep being led to slaughter, who's received this injustice, who's uh, been, been humiliated and whose life was eventually taken from him. And Philip is saying, is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? You see, because the eunuch, well, he's obviously not had the most humane of treatment either. Right? Pun intended, he's not looked at as a whole human. Okay? He is, would be like, like second class almost. And so as he's reading about someone else who has lost something, He's saying, is this, is this guy, that, this, this writer, is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? And it says that Philip started right there. And, and, and no better text to start with to talk about Jesus, especially if you don't have a New Testament. But he starts right there and it says he explained, he explained the gospel to him beginning right there all the way down to Jesus. And then you get to verse Verse 36 it says, as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. There, and, and the eunuch said, look, there is water. What would keep me from being baptized? We don't know everything that Philip told him, but something in this eunuch's mind clicked. Something that Philip said clicked, and this eunuch wanted to be a part of it. Okay? He realized that there was something missing from his life, and it wasn't just human anatomy, but there was something else, something that went much deeper. And it was his identity as a son of God. And so they come and buy this water, and he says, Hey, look, there's some water right there. Is there anything that will keep me from being baptized? And, of course, we know how the story goes. They pull up the brake. He goes down, and he's, he's baptized. Now, there's, there's an important point here. You know, there are certain things to do that are nice, and that are good, and, you know, you want to get to them, right? I mean, we all have things we want to do in our lives, right? But then there are other things in our lives that we, you, when you find out about it, if it's something that needs to be done, you take care of it right then and right there, right? Okay? If you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, if you don't change your lifestyle, you are going to be dead in X amount of months or X amount of years. Most people are going to say, okay, I'm going to start right now correct okay now if you're baking a cake that's a nice thing to do okay but it's not something that has to be done right then you know if you're gonna have hair plugs put in you don't have to do it right then that can wait but when it's a life-saving thing you don't put it off does that make sense They did not put this off. They didn't say, oh, yeah, you can do it. Here's what you do. Go back to, you know, wherever. Go back to to Candace in Ethiopia. Find somebody. Here's how you do it. You get some water. You go in. get immersed, all that stuff. That's how you do it. They didn't wait. They found a cow pond on the side of the road and went down, and he was baptized right then and there because it was just that important. Okay. And and the forgiveness of sins, that's an important thing, right? That's a big deal, right? I mean, that's pretty important to us. But hear me when I say this. I think the most important part of baptism is our identity as sons and daughters of God. I think that's the most important part of it where we identify, where God identifies with us. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Just as he did, as he identified with Jesus at Jesus' baptism. This eunuch recognizes that this is what is missing in my life. My identity has always been this, but that's not my true identity. That's just something that was done to me. My true identity is in Jesus. So now then, we all have stuff, like I said, we talked about it. We all have things in our, in our lives, in our background, our past, those kinds of things. And a lot of times, people want to use those things to identify us, right? Because we all know somebody who's an alcoholic. We all know somebody who's an addict. We all know somebody who's a liar. Okay, but here's the thing, and especially if somebody's called you that or used that to identify you, that is not your identity. That's just things you've done. Your true identity is a son or daughter of God. Your true identity is the brother or sister of Jesus Christ. That's the power of the gospel. And so no matter what it is that you have done or whatever, or if you've lost something, know that while you mourn that loss, that's not your true identity. True identity is found is found in Jesus. Now you keep uh, you keep on reading, and, and you know there's an interesting thing in the text here. How many of your Bibles, um, how many of your Bibles have verse thirty seven in there? Raise your hand if you've got verse thirty seven. Some do. How many have a footnote about verse thirty seven? Yeah, some do, some don't. That's, it's kind of interesting. Some, you know, verse, some Bibles have verse 37. that says, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart you may in response to the baptism question. He replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now then, that verse 37, it's not in the oldest manuscript, so don't think there was like a mess up as they were printing and somebody got the numbers wrong. Okay, and it went, it go, because some... Some versions, like mine, go from 36 straight to 38, and you're like, well, where's 37? And that's why you have the footnote. And so don't be be confused by this, because it's not in the oldest translations, but that's in a very, very, it's in some very ancient manuscripts we have. Now, we don't know why, but maybe some editor later on said, you know, he understood it, but just so everybody else reading this later really understands about belief. I'm going to go ahead and put this one in there. But don't let that kind of thing throw you because it doesn't change the story. But I did want to point it out because we're reading right through it, and you might say, well, wait a minute. Where's this verse? It goes straight from 36 to 38. Where's 37? Then you realize the footnotes in there. It doesn't change what happens. Philip, riding along in the chariot, the eunuch hears Jesus for the first time. They see the water, and they say, Why can't we stop right now? Why can't we take care of this now? Because the eunuch knew this was important. Let's go and let's, let's get this done. Verse 38 says, So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now then, watch what happens. This is crazy. When they came up out of the water... The spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but he went on his way rejoicing. Now that's important. That's important because way, way back, it talks about the eunuchs being considered outsiders, way back in the in the Old Testament, being considered outsiders. But as people continue to grow and people continue to write and they receive new messages from God. Isaiah writes about eunuchs and he says in Isaiah 56 he says no foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say the Lord will exclude me from his people. At one time the eunuchs were excluded. And the eunuchs should not say look I'm a dried up tree for the Lord says this for the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. The eunuch is experiencing that prophecy. He is rejoicing Because he is not cut off from the family of God. His identity is locked in within the family. Did you hear that insider language that Isaiah wrote about? He's included. He's part of this this family of God. And So he went away rejoicing. Verse 40, Philip appeared in Azotus. He was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, we won't read about Philip for... It'll be be a few weeks in our time, but it'll be several years chronologically. But all this leads me to the point that I want to make that I've been, been driving at all of this way. The eunuch led an interesting life. Even if he was not the treasurer to the queen... He had an interesting life. Okay, he had a different life than any of us can possibly imagine. Okay? He goes to Jerusalem. He has, you know, he he worships God there. He has this encounter with with Philip. Philip joins him on his his journey, which is just a, a literal journey because he's, traveling from Jerusalem to Ethiopia. And at this time, Ethiopia was considered the edge of the world. Edge of the, or the modern world, at least at that time. It was like the very edge of the world. So he's on a, a literal journey, but what we actually find out is there's a spiritual journey that is going on as well. And Philip joins him on that. So that leads us to our, our community connection for this week, and it's, it's very simply this. Meet people where they are and travel with them on their journey of faith. Does that make sense? And, and, and that, realize, that's a loaded statement, what I'm saying right there. There's a lot of stuff, so let's, let's unpack that for just a minute. We meet people all the time. We know that. And just like all of us, they come from different backgrounds and pasts and and, and all of those things. And everybody is on a a journey. And and should you determine or should someone tell you that they're thinking about faith or they're asking questions about church or Jesus or, or whatever, recognize that they are inviting you on their journey. Now that's a big deal, right? If someone trusts you enough to say, hey, look, I want to ask you about something. Recognize, that's, that's some holy ground that you're, you're walking on, okay? Which means you play a very, 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 very important role, okay? Your role is to play the role that Philip played, which means you start right where they are and you explain Jesus to them. You don't make expectations like, well, you got to do this, 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 and this. And once you get these things in order, then you can be baptized. But you start where people are in their faith, and you point them to Jesus. And if they get to the point where they say, hey, I believe in Jesus, could I be baptized? It's not up to us to say, well, I don't know, let's have a few more discussions about this. If somebody says, I believe in Jesus, you baptize them as soon as you possibly can because you don't put off important things. When Jesus commissioned them, He said, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them into my name, then what? Teach, meaning you don't have to have it all together first. You don't have to have full and complete understanding of everything because guess what I am a cradle Christian who doesn't miss a lot of church services who has almost three degrees in the Bible and guess what I don't know anything the only thing I know is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everybody And the other thing is that our identity is found only in Jesus Christ. Not in things we've done. Not in the monikers that people want to hang on us. Only in Jesus Christ. Not in the losses that we've suffered. Only in Jesus. Not in the gains that we have achieved. Not in our money or degrees or careers or even families. Our identity is through Jesus Christ and Jesus only. And so the second thing we do is we gently walk with the person, whoever it is. Gently walk with them, being patient through their questions. And here's the other thing: seek help if you need help. Okay, there are times where I need help, and I have to ask them, "Hey, look, help me talk to this person." Okay. And then lastly, just model Jesus for them the best way you can. And uh, the the easiest way is just by loving them and uh, showing them how to love God and to, to love others. So as we make these community connections, we meet people where they are and accept them just as they are, and we walk with them on their journey of faith. Does that make sense? Let's pray. God, thank you for the day you've given us. Thank you for uh, this message. Thank you for uh, this, uh, this story that, on, on, at first glance, it seems really quite simple, but there's a lot going on. And there's a lot that we learn from this story. Uh, that you, you love and accept us no matter who we are or where we're from what we've done or what's been done to us you love us and you you care for us and we're so grateful for that the second thing we see is that um, God you kind of show us how to journey with somebody for those of us that have given their lives to Jesus you show us how to come along beside someone and, and walk with them and not not make demands but just Point the way to Jesus. And we're so grateful for that. God, I want to pray for anybody here this morning that has a, a sense of, of loss, that has a sense of something is missing, uh, that, that carries an identity that you never intended for them to carry. that's had something done to them, and so they're known as that. Or have made decisions in their life that have not been the greatest, and so they're known as that. And God, I pray that you will first and foremost help them to know that one, that you love them very much. And that you died for them. And that their true identity is not in those things. But their true identity is your son or your daughter. God, let them know that you delight in them. And I want to pray for those also too, God, that are on the journey. And maybe they've not given their life to You, but they're sort of interested in You. I pray that You would give them the courage and the faith to step out and trust You. To step into that new identity in Jesus through through baptism. And God, we're so grateful that baptism saves us. We're also so grateful grateful that baptism identifies us. And the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us as a, as a stamp, as a deposit, as a guarantee, a down payment for what is to come. When you and Jesus bring heaven to earth. And so God, I pray for those that are struggling. I pray that you would help them to turn to you as well. Those that are carrying a burden or whatever it might be, that they will leave it with you today and they'll walk out of here light and free, cleansed and new, knowing that you are their God. they are yours. Thank you that you love us just the way we are. If there's not demands to get to you, all you really say is don't stop believing. So help those. Help those when Satan tightens the screws in just a second throw that off and complete their journey to come in. Pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.